expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Yes, here we are on episode 68 of Down and Nerdy, where in this family, we don't say winter is coming, we say Comic-Con is coming. Yeah, you think after E3, and it's just like right now, man, it's just our schedule is just filled. We got a lot of guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, and we got to cover SCCC, and E3 is over now, and it's just, it's it's a it's a hellacious period. This part of summer is always tough for us. It's just it's, a lot of work. It's just amazing to me how... The two biggest conferences in the nerd world of the year are literally like three weeks apart from each other. Yeah, it, it, it's like you have <laughs> – it's kind of like you have a Super Bowl one week and then you have like game seven of like the NBA Finals the next week, you know, or something like that. Yeah, it would be – it would literally be just like that except nerd-related. By the way, I'm James Witham alongside – Alongside America's golden child, America one arm, Nick Pataglia. That's right, because we are celebrating the 4th of July this week, and we have a very special 4th of July edition of the show this week. We'll let you know a little bit later on what we've got going on, but trust me, it's going to be something you're definitely going to want to stick around for. We're going to be pretty much tying fireworks to the ends of our dicks and helicoptering them around. It's going to be great. Hey, I, I like my appendages. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'd like to keep all mine. I know that's not necessarily an option for you. No, but it's I'd not. like to keep all mine. But no, trust me, we've got we've got a, a a great show this week. Like Nick said, we've got a lot of pretty amazing guests coming up and no, we're not going to tell you who it is, but uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think you just let's just say this. A lot of the big stuff that's uh on TV and and in the nerd world right now, we got some people from those places. So we'll just we're, say that. We're kind of sworn to secrecy about some things right now. And I yeah. think if we could tell you, we would tell you, but we'd be in big, big trouble. So uh, let's just say we know some stuff and we've got some stuff coming up related to said stuff. Is that, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, I guess we, I guess we can say that. Is that, is that vague enough? It, it, it's pretty vague. I mean, it's not like, you know, DC Suicide Squad vague where like everything's coming out, you know, and point. everything's being leaked. Or, or you know, I just really want to talk about something really quick. Uh, the whole Rogue Cut, Fox is like balls deep in that. It's like you're, they really they're, they're, are. They're really pushing it so hard. It's like, it's just like, guys, like 17 extra minutes. It's like, it's just DLC for a movie, which I bet you any money you watch and you're kind of like, you know what? I can see why I got caught. You know what's funny is that the only reason this is happening is because people were all outraged that she basically wasn't in the movie at all because they loved her so much in the other movies. So that's the only reason. The, the fan outcry is the only reason that this is happening. So, I mean, they kind of did it to themselves, I yeah. think. So the hype was created by, I'm not going to say us because we, we didn't say that, but, you know, the nerd word in, world in general is who created this hype in the first place. So, I mean, blame us? I don't know. I have no idea. But then, and also, I beat Arkham Knight, by the way. Ah, very nice, very nice. Uh, the only thing is, well, let's put it this way. I beat 98% of it. I didn't beat the Riddler, and here's why. And this is stupid. I love the game. It's a great game. But Rocksteady made a stupid decision. In order to fully beat the game and get the full ending... 
Like, you pretty much you beat the game one one way, you get an ending, but you don't get the full ending, you only get half of it, really. Uh-huh. But in order to get the full ending, you have to collect all 240-plus Riddler trophies and then beat the Riddler, and then that's how you get the full ending. Wow. I'm sorry, I'm not... I, no. No, I... It, it, you gotta realize, too, you live in the age where YouTube is, and, and it's big, and I can just, that's what I did. I just said, pretty much said, screw it. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going on YouTube and watch the full ending. I'm going to be totally honest. Of all the Arkham games I've played, I have never once collected every Riddler trophy in any of those games. And it's not because I couldn't. It's because I just flat out didn't want to get them all. Yeah. You know, and that's 240 that's a lot. It's more. It's like, it's, like, it's like I think all total. I think it's like two forty eight in total. I believe close to two fifty. But yeah, and you're. It's like yes, I want to be flying around Gotham City looking for stupid trophies in order to finish a game. And it's like really, like like I had to collect all these things. You know, not to mention after you invested so much time in actually beating everything else. Well, not just and, that. And thinking the game is over at a certain point, well, you're like, oh, well, well now not it's just not that, over. Because the thing that pissed me off the most about it was that there, Riddler has his own missions you have to do outside of the trophies. And I'm like, okay, cool. Once I defeat all the missions, you know, I get to go face Riddler. Nope. So it's like, well, what the fuck? You know, now I don't... It, it just kills it. It's, it's like, kind of similar to what they did in Arkham City where you had those Riddler side missions that you had to do but then you don't actually get to face the Riddler. You kind of rescue him instead. So, yeah, that was a little weird. Well, this one you face Riddler, but like I said, you have to collect all the trophies. I'm not – I'm sorry, man. I'm not going to collect all the trophies and fly around and do all these different things just to face the Riddler and get the full ending when I can just go online and watch right. the full ending. It and makes here's, sense. And here's the deal. I mean, and, and as much as we both love the Arkham games and you've said how much you've loved Arkham Knight – after E3, there's you can tell there's so many games coming out yeah. now that and really good ones that you know to devote the time to pick up that many trophies just to finish the last two percent of a game. I, I don't know many people are gonna do that. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. And like I said, I liked it, but then I'll say this too: the, the Harley Quinn DLC. I mean, it's pre-ordered stuff you get for free. It's not worth it. It's really not. Uh, the Red Hood DLC is all right. The, I mean, it's it, you, the way he fights is pretty cool because it's Gunkata, so it's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen, you know, with the Red Hood DLC, I'll say this, it takes place um, pretty much after Arkham Knight. It's not before. And the thing is leading up before. I don't like it because, you know, Jason Todd, I like to see, like, you know, you start off captured by the Joker and you go through the whole transformation into Red Hood. I would like to see that, but this is more like it's continuation after the game. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I mean, at least it was free. Yeah. Um, when there's a Game of the Year edition, you know that it's going to have all that stuff uh, in it as well. So, you'll again, that's kind of free for those of us who are going to have to wait to play Arkham Knight. So, I mean, it's hard to complain when it's free, but if, yeah, if you were paying for it, I, I could see, yeah, people would have a legitimate beef. And, well, you're going to have to wait a while because you actually need a PS4 or yep. Xbox One to play it, so. Yep, going to be gonna be a little bit. So, but, at, by the time I can afford one, Game of the Year Edition will probably be out. I live 10 minutes from you. You can't come over and just play it? I can't sleep for more than four hours. So what? You so get- what? He just said, so what? So for those of you listening to this show with children, I want you to email 
down and nerdy podcast gmail.com and explain to Nicholas why so what. Why well, they gotta do that? They could just go to our website, downnerdypodcast.com and just email they me. They could do there. that too. You could do that too. And feel free to use the contact us section. There's a nice little nice little form on there. Yeah. That you could that you could fill out. It's very it's very convenient. Or hey, you run into Nick at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach. Hey, you could tell him then too. He, he can he can handle it in person. Yep, but uh, that's gonna do it for our first seven cup next. It's what we're reading. Got two new comics this week, so stay tuned. More down there. You come up next. Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fantasy Escape Comics Card, Virginia Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Well, it's time to break out those bags and boards because we're going to be discussing what we're reading this week. And Nick, I think I'll give you the honor of going first. All right, well, before I dive into what I read this week, of course, I want to mention that what we're reading is always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards. Go see Bob, check out all the amazing comics and magic cards and hero clicks and shirts and art. He has a whole plethora of figures as well. So go check out Bob over on Aragorn Boulevard. What if we gave him like his own jingle? You're like, Fantasy Escape Comics and, and Cards! And then watch, like, everybody stop going because of that. Yeah, it's just don't the worst. stop going. It's the worst song ever. Uh. Yeah. And thank you for giving me the opportunity, James, to go first this week because you went first last week. So I decided to go back to my Marvel roots. And I decided to go back to my Deadpool roots as well. All right. Uh, however, we're not talking about Deadpool. We're talking about Mrs. Deadpool and the Howling Commandos number one. Of course, Gary Dugan is doing the writing for it. Riley Brown, a friend of ours, did the cover art, and it looks phenomenal. Not surprised. And Salvador Espin did the artist. Let me tell you something about Mrs. Deadpool, a.k.a. Shikla. She is a de- a strong, independent demon woman who don't need no Deadpool. <laughs> I know that's right, child. Yeah. Wow, way to go there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Can I pull that off or no? No, you can't. Okay. Okay, but anyways, it, pretty much, if you go back, if you've been reading Deadpool for a while, starting with issue 27, which was the marriage of Sheikla and Deadpool, and you read, there's a, a short run that Riley Brown, of course, did as well, uh, called Deadpool Dracula's Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And in the end of Dracula's Gauntlet, Deadpool kills Dracula. Well, in this one, in Mrs. Deadpool, it's reversed roles, where Deadpool's kind of the narrator. He's in ghost form, and pretty much Dracula kills Deadpool. And the way they do it is smart. I'm not going to go deep into the plot, because if you want to read it, read it. But pretty much Dracula says, you know, he cuts off Deadpool's head. He's like, that's not going to kill me. I can just grow back. He goes, fine, we'll throw it in a casket full of acid. And he's like, oh, Shit. I'll do Nobody's it. ever thought about that. So Deadpool's gone. So again, it's reverse kind of alternate timeline. So Shikla uh, is pissed and she says, you know, she's going to go find her family and everything else. And, you know, lo and behold, the Howling Commandos are like the Wolfman and, you know, classic horror monsters. And what I liked about it was, it's a, when you see the, you know, it, what I liked about this comic was that it, we, we got a strong female character in this and Shikla. And she was strong since her incarnation in the early Deadpool run. But the thing is, I enjoyed watching her. She's a badass. Yeah. She is, like, she is pretty much Marvel's version, I think, of in DC, where you have in Wonder Woman, you have, what's her name? Uh, Grail. Grail. Okay. She is kind of like this version's Grail from Marvel. And, you know, of course, you got the whole. Dracula has his, you know, how- Howling Commandos, and of course they're going to, at one point, maybe turn on Shikla mm-hmm. to kill her. But, you know, again, that's kind of like a drawback. Like, okay, we've kind of seen this before, where it's like a whole art of betrayal. But in the end, I mean, it was really, really entertaining. The art was really, really good. Uh, Espen did a great job. Again, Riley did an amazing job with the cover work on it. 
uh, Dugan, you know, really solid writing throughout. So for me, this is definitely a pull for me. Not surprising. I mean, no. it sounds like it sounds like a very but, cool well, book. All kidding aside. Well, the thing is, like with with, with Shikla, what's great is, like I said, is that she's a strong, you know, character, and you know, there's times she turns to the beast mode and everything else, and it's like. Damn, it's one of those things where like she is. I'm not gonna lie, she is very sexy. I think. All right. And then, and then you see her turn to the whole dragon beast mode, and then you're just like, yeah, I shouldn't want to piss her off. It's kind of like you know going back to Gotham when Fishman said, "Don't call me babe or sweetie or whatever the hell it was." It was babe. It was babe. And then uh, Maroni calls her babe. She shoots him. It's kind of like that where you had this kind of pretty good looking uh, woman, and then you say something to piss her off. She will rip your insides out. That goes for most women, actually. Yeah, <laughs> just, exactly. You know, just, just point that out. It's funny that you went the strong female character route this week because I kind of did the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to review this book last week, but I, you know, X Men ninety two. You know. Oh, but well, yeah. I mean, so well, now this comic is it your wife's autobiography? Uh, not exactly, but there there are a lot of similarities okay. there. <laughs> it's uh, it's Black Canary number one actually, which is part of the DCU uh, initiative that's just being launched. Of course, it's written by Brendan Fletcher. Annie Wu does the art, also did the cover, which looks really cool. Yeah. Uh, and Lee Lorridge actually did the colors. We'll talk about that here in a second. Steve Wands on the letters, and basically it's kind of cool because Dinah Lance, she's broke. Okay, she's got really no place to be, so she ends up with this band. Now, mind you, you said Diana. Dinah, yeah. Yeah. Well, remember in 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 Arrow, it's Dinah, Laurel, Lance. They yes. sneak that in there. Ah, so, yeah, okay. so, you know, it's one of those things. So she's kind of, she's kind of trying to find her place. What she's really trying to do is earn money, so she's with this band. Yeah. And I know you're thinking, like, really? So they're going to do that? It actually kind of works. It's, it's kind very of like cool. The way you were describing his comic to me is kind of like the beginning of Scott Pilgrim, where the first fight in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the movie, and he had that fight in the club. It's yeah. Like wherever he goes... You know, these evil exes follow her. She goes, evil follows her, and she ends up, she said, trashing the entire place, too. It was kind of similar to that, because there's times where, you know, she sees something happening in the crowd, like a woman's getting attacked, and she's like, well, I can't just stand here, because the crime fighter in her is kind of saying, I gotta go save this person, and the band members have no idea about her past. Uh And they kind of try to draw her out as the issue goes on, and she kind of hesitates, then something happens. It's kind of like a point of no return thing. Right. And we actually find something out about one of the band members mm-hmm. that changes the entire theme of this book. Now, I want to point out, because, you know, colorists don't get a lot of love. No. But, I mean, you flip through the pages of this book, and Lee Lorridge, the way the colors pop, and in certain panels specifically, yeah. it really makes you pay attention to the art and what's going on. I think that the art by Annie Wu was also very good. I get kind of a real Walking Dead vibe. Yeah. When I was looking at this, the, the art's very similar to that, it, I think. It gives that vibe. Like, I'm looking at some of the panels right now, and like you said, James, the colors do pop. Like, there's a scene with her walking on stage, it looks like, and there's just a pink, and she's, you know, the way that, and the way that it is is that it doesn't... It doesn't blend too much in because she stands out because, of course, her body is kind of like a darkish blue, greenish mm-hmm. kind of a mixed gray. And then she's got this bright background, so you're letting the, the colors pretty much pop, and you let everybody kind of you're pretty much accenting the outside. You're making the character out of the world around her, and you're also making the character of herself. So you're kind of not meshing in where you get a lot of these comics that have variety of colors. However, one is more matte, and this one one's more bright and cheery. And it's funny because if you have a really good colorist working your book, it it really does make the inks pop yeah. more, and it makes them more detailed. So I think that the combination of Annie Wu and Lee Lorge here really brings it out. So 
again, there was a lot of good action in this book. The action sequences and the art were fantastic. Yeah. I grabbed this when I saw that this book was going to be part of the DCU initiative. I said to Bob, I said, you know what? Put this in my poll. I'm going to give it a shot. Really glad I did. I got to ask you a question, though. Is there any point where she's, like, singing she uses the canary cry to hit that high note? Yes. She does. The canary cry is in there, and they actually make a joke about her breaking speakers yeah. in this in this issue. So the, the canary cry does come out, but I won't tell you why. There's a reason it comes out, but I can't tell you why because I want you to go out and get this it's book because this is a definite pull for It's me. probably because she's a, she's in a death metal band. That's a little part of it. Black metal? Yeah, there's a little part of it. It's yeah. very hardcore. But she enjoys it, too. And why wouldn't she? Exactly. Well, that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Again, I did Mrs. Deadpool and the Holly Commandos number one. That's a definite pull for me. And James, you did. I did Black Canary number one. Exactly. And that was a pull for me as well. And actually, we're going to be coming up this week in Geek Tamment. We're going to have a little bit of an anniversary party next on Down and Nerdy. Hey, listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Noble, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. All right, boys and girls, it's time to power up your Zords, put on those fancy helmets, and go save the world against Lord Zed and Evil Re- Re- Repulsa, because this week in Geektainment, we're talking about the Power Rangers movie. Of course, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. It's the 20th anniversary of this week, James, and why not talk about it? Yeah, why not? I mean, we've got the new movie come out in 2017, I think it is. Yep. So there's a lot of excitement around the Power Rangers right now, trying to figure out what we're going to expect, and... Why not visit Jason David Frank and the gang and remember what it was like 20 years ago when that movie came out in theaters? And you were like, what, six? I was six. So you were probably jazzed for this at the time. Yeah, I remember sitting in the theater watching this, and my friend, it was my, for my friend's fir- uh, birthday, actually, and his mom took us to see it. And the scene where the ectomorphicons come alive, my friend, whose birthday it was, is freaking out, and I'm like, Pat, it's only, it's, it's a fake. It's fake. And I'm six years old having to tell my friend it's fake. So you're all hopped up on, on sugar, and yep. experimental butter. Yeah. You were up there in the theater seeing this movie. And, and, and I got to say, the first 15 minutes of the movie, I had to kind of laugh because it's like the whole first 15 minutes is, hey, look at all the cool stuff that you like. We do it all. And look how awesomely we do it. <laughs> we're jumping out of a plane. Like, I'm not going to lie. Seeing Jason David Frank's. You know, as Tommy, who's you know the White Ranger in the movie, jump out of an airplane with 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 a snowboard. I'm like, I literally was like, I want to go sky jumping at six years old with a snowboard. <laughs> and then, and then of course you've got them skateboarding through pretty much no, the I, I, entire I, they're city. They're inline skating. Oh yeah, inline skating. I'm sorry. Get it right. Well, you know, child of the '80s here. Those are, well, those are two well, different levels of extremes. Technically, sir, so technically, technically, the '70s. I was born in 1979. Oh okay? Jesus! So yeah, you killed disco. I did. Ugh. With extreme prejudice, by the way. <laughs> You're scorpion medallions. But no, I just thought that that was funny that uh, that the first 15 minutes of the movie are that, and everybody talks like this. Oh yeah, the entire movie. Like, which hey I think guys. Was funny. Yeah, and you you sent me a great text. Of course, you watched it for the first time in God knows how many years. And Probably me, 20 uh, years. <laughs> yeah, you sent me a, a great text. You said, this movie makes me realize why I wa- that I wasn't a 90s kid. Okay, now I'm, I want to explain this to everybody who's going to hate me for that, okay? Remember when Nick was talking about Goonies? And he said that this movie really didn't hold any childhood nostalgia for him so in watching it it was like okay this is just kind of okay for me so when i watched this 
I kind of have the same reaction. I understand why people of that generation loved it and still love it today and why the toys and the show and everything was so popular. Don't, don't get me wrong. I get it. It's just not for me. Right. But, you know? Well, I thought it meant for you because it has all the puns in it. I'm like, James would love it. It does. I do love that. And there was a part in the in the movie, and, and everybody's going to remember this. We're not going to do this like regular This Week in Geek Tam because it's not new. You've seen it. Yeah. We're just going to kind of talk about it in general. There's a part where they're getting their, their new animal powers yeah. from the woman that they just met who just spread pixie dust all over them, which is kind of very Bill Cosby. But uh, <laughs> She Spanish flied all the rangers. But, but basically, you get to the Black Ranger, right? And, he, and he's got this sad face, and she's like, what's the matter? And he goes... I'm a frog. I lost it when he said that. <laughs> right, it's, like, it's like, well, this guy's, you know, Rocky's an ape and Billy's a wolf and Aisha's a, a bear and I get a fucking frog. Oh, God. I lost it. And then her explanation was awful. Yeah, it was <laughs> very, it was actually very Disney. Like, yes, a frog, but with a kiss goes to a handsome prince, it's like. It's like, what does that do for him in that situation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can all say that the people uh, in this movie that played the Rangers were very good looking. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, you know, it's not like Bulk and Skull or Power Rangers. You know it's what I'm funny saying? because it's like, what's he going to do? Charm his way through evil? Yeah. He goes, ah, come on, guys. Look, I've got three buttons unbuttoned on my shirt here. Let's not it's, fight. It's going to be like the, the teen Poison Ivy, but for men. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that really works. I think frogs are cool, too, by the way, so... And I think that they can do a lot of stuff. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know why you'd be that upset. But he's the only one that got the kiss on the forehead, though. So Yeah. I mean, hey. Um, and it, from a woman who is ages and eons old, even though she doesn't look it. Pretty much. Yeah. And then you've got pretty much everybody that's female in this movie has their belly button showing at some point. Which was, I mean, a big so, thing in the 90s. But it's yeah, also very hot. Very, very, very big thing. And I love how they made the joke about uh, everybody thinking the Pink Ranger was quote Oh, my God. Yeah, when Goldor was like... Todd Avenue's like, so you think she's hot too or cute too? It's like, yeah, fourth wallish kind of thing. It's like, yeah, because yeah. you know, the Pink Ranger. I'm sorry, is for any boy growing up in the '90s was your first crush. Like she was my first crush, man. Like it was, you know, of course, you know, Amy yeah. Joe Johnson. Oh, yeah, Amy Joe Johnson to this day is very beautiful. You know. Yeah, she's a good looking. She's a good looking woman. I mean, for for my age, of course, it was Princess Leia at some point, and then uh, Alyssa Milano for totally different non nerd reasons. <laughs> um, people, hey, you, you're you're a child of the '80s. You'll understand what I'm talking about. But I mean, yeah, I, and I totally understand that. And uh, it's Kelly, Kelly Kapowski is right uh, right there too as well. Yeah. So I mean, I, again, I, I watch this movie and and I appreciate the martial arts part of it. I, I need Jason David Frank to teach me that hanging in the air and kick somebody across the room thing for well, like, the whole court, the whole uh, uh, corkscrew kick and everything else. And yeah, I got I got to learn that. Days? Remember the good old days you just could backflip through a construction site with no yeah, problem? Yeah, remember when you just had to leave a room and you back handspring through the entire thing because that's just the way you left rooms in the 90s. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, martial arts were big in the 90s, so I mean, you had Power Rangers and all the fighting shows and everything else, but I mean, this movie, I mean, you can tell for the most part it is dated because it's got a lot of 90s slang, like especially yeah. when Kimberly is talking. Yeah. You know, she's that, that 90s white girl, I'll say, where she's like, you know, let's go to the mall and all this other stuff kind of mentality. She's Although, like the Jubilee kind of, of I, Power Rangers. 
I loved reliving Have a Nice Trip. See you next fall. That was fun. Yeah, right. And you know, or she goes into the they go to the new Zords, new Ninja Zords, and she goes to the Crane Zords. Like nice stereo. It's like yeah. Oh, stereos. Remember when those were a thing? Break out the old Walkman. Let's go for a job. <laughs> yeah. I did, you mean, ever have the, did you ever have the waterproof Walkman with like the with like the rubber buttons on it? And bro, could... I had uh, a couple of Walkmans. I had a yellow one, and then I actually had a Nintendo sixty four themed Walkman. I had a yellow one that had rubber buttons on it that you could actually take in the water and stuff. It was pretty awesome. I had uh, my first CD player actually was a, it was made by the Arizona Gene Company and it was nice. Purple. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> weird, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I, well, it was my uncle got me a guy for me for my for Christmas one year, which was uh, awesome. Although I will say, I bought a pair of Levi's once that came with headphones. Yeah. Don't I, know why. Yeah, and, and, and you know, go off on this tangent here, but the thing is, like, like with the CD player, you don't have the anti-skip, but it's like you just still you tap the top of it and it still skipped. I mean, that's just the way it was. Try wearing a jean jacket, just, you know, your Goosebumps jean jacket like I had. Try putting it in a pocket. It wouldn't fit. Yeah, yeah. That, that was always the frustrating thing. When I would mow my lawn, yeah, I would put a backpack on, like a full legit backpack, just to put my CD player in there, my portable <laughs> CD player in there, so it wouldn't skip. And I'd put, like, towels in there and stuff to, like, pad it so it wouldn't skip. <laughs> It was next level, man, because I did not want to mow that lawn without tunes. So, I, again, we're getting off on a tangent here, but it's reliving the 90s, and how could you not do that? I mean, yeah. I still lived through the 90s just because I didn't grow up in them. Yeah. I but mean, my... th- there was a lot of stuff. And then um, I just thought it was interesting that it looked like Zordon was wrapped in a tamale after the after the Power Ranger cave was busted up He there. looked like a, 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 per, a guy's ball that escaped a nutsack, pretty much. Yeah, it's, yeah that's, that's just never good, you know. You, you it's gotta, not good. It's like, gotta a, keep a, it, a guy with a, with a torn uh, scrotum. That's pretty much what i Gotta keep it moistened, because if you don't... <laughs> we're talking about... Wow, 60 episodes in, we're talking about moistening scrotums. It's, it's just, you gotta... I'm not saying you gotta put lotion down there, but I mean... <laughs> take care uh, of yourself a little bit better. Oh, God. I don't want to hear about moistening scrotums. <laughs> that ship sailed. That ship Done. ain't sailed. Done. That, that, and we don't edit that out. So that's just, no. it's, it's, this is happening. We keep that in. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but in watching this movie, cause you're the power Rangers fan. So I'm going to ask you okay. in watching this movie. Um, what do you expect or what do you want to have all these years later with the new power Rangers movie coming out in 2017? Do you want them to honor the legacy of 20 years ago, or do you want them to kind of, okay, let's give it a fresh take on, uh, on the Power Rangers? I mean, you, you got to keep the teen aspect of it. You, you have to. I think they, they're they going to cast, they should cast people, they're going to cast unknowns, they should cast teenagers, like literally like legit 16 to 19-year-olds for the role. Well, they're going to cast Jason David Frank in something, because he's in all of well, this I think Well, J- he's going to be more, I think Jason David Frank, if he's going to be in the movie, he's going to be more of like an Obi-Wan-esque, you know. If he took over like the Zordon role, that'd be cool. That would be awesome. I, I could handle that. But, or like a, a Master Splinter-esque kind of thing, yeah, you know, yeah. which is creating the new Rangers. Uh, you know, it's, it's 20 years, you got to move on to something new, you can't rehash it. So, I mean, just do something new. Uh, you know, if you want to bring back, like, Lord Zed and Reed Repulsa, that's totally fine. I actually would be up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just story and everything else, yeah, just go go new. Or, you know, I would like to see, actually, you know, if it's going to be Mighty Morphin Power Rangers again, uh, I would say, you know what, 
let's start from the beginning of the show. Not the show, but just like have them to where they're already there, but have like the dinosaurs, you know, just like have yeah. that. Because we had the, the ninja zords, so maybe, you know, have the dinosaurs kind of, you know, be back and kind of start fresh. Yeah. Not fully reboot, be like the new, they're doing the new Spider-Man where it's, they're already there. You know, it's, it's already it a thing. It still exists, but they're kind of just freshening it up. Yeah. I, as long as the first, as long as they're not tweeting or Instagramming for the first five minutes and taking selfies in the movie, I'll be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, just, just don't, don't do that. But, uh, I, I think you do have to, you, you gotta make it fresh. I like that in this movie, they kind of went with Ivan Ooze. Yep. Which was a very different villain for the Power yeah. Rangers universe yeah. at the time. Yeah. So I liked that they did that for the movie as as a play off of of the show, and he was pretty funny, the pretty funny villain for for us adults at the at the time. I wasn't an adult. I was probably well, how old was I? Sixteen. Yeah. Yeah, I was sixteen, so not quite an adult, but I was still a teenager. But the thing is, too, is you know, this is the nineties. So of course, you had the glory of nineties CG. Oh yeah. And it was like, like I said, it's 90 CG. So, of course, those, the new Zords look completely computerized. But, again, for what it was in that time, you know, hey, more power to them. Like, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like it's gonna, it's not going to look different now. No. You know, in, in this day and age with CG, it's going to look much better. Well, I mean, the CG in the, in the 90s Power Ranger movie looked, like, very reboot-esque. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Again, there's no problem with it. I mean, like I said, it's yeah. it's that time. It was that time, you know. Not every CGI movie in the nineties was going to have the great CGI of Jurassic Park. Right. Not only that, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna practically build, you know, build a practical Zord for every one of them, and and the and the robots that they had to fight as well. That's not going to happen. No, not on I, the but not on the budget that they. Had. You know, and I watched this a couple of days ago because you know, we we're doing it for the show today. If we're doing it right now, and Bulk and Skull, the two bullies of the show, has somebody who's watched all the episodes of the old show, and it's all on Netflix. You want to watch it too? They were. I like that they had an evolution of character sort for Bulk and Skull. Oh, yeah. They weren't really the bullies. They were more, you know, they weren't the bullies that started a food fight and everything else. It was more, you know, the opening scene with them in the plane, you know, they're more cocky and arrogant instead of bullish was great, you know? Yeah. Because at this time, you would think that all of them were probably either in college or out of high school at least. You know, they were like 19, maybe 20 at the time, you know. But again, it's just one of those things, man, you know, where it's that evolution of characters, which you didn't really see a lot, especially in, in kids' Uh, uh, movies, but like I said, somebody who grew up with Power Rangers and watched this recently, as of a couple days ago, you know, I want to watch it again. Like I, it's one of those things where I legit want to go out, find it on Blu-ray, and buy it because it just has that part of my childhood that I love. Like right. one of the f- best things I've ever won in arcade was the movie poster for Power Rangers the movie. You know, well, I will say that when we were at free comic the for two years in a row free comic book day at Bob's at Fantasy Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach, one of the first free comics that always went was the Power Rangers comic. Exactly. So I totally get it. And 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 I mean I have cousins that are that are younger than me that were all about Power Rangers. That's why I saw the Power Rangers movie in the first place was was because of them and they had all the figures and everything. So again, I totally get why this was so popular back in the 90s. Especially martial arts was huge in the late 80s and early 90s. I mean, that started with Karate Kid and then just kind of morphed, no pun intended. And we I actually promise. have some breaking news right now. A Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series has been announced by Boom Studios. For for comics? For comics. Okay, so they're finally going to get the regular series, which is smart. So let's lead that right into the movie if they I can keep it going. I know what I'm adding into my poll. You hear that, Bob? 
Nick's coming for you. Uh-huh. And he wants to add a little something into his poll. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I mean, they already got to look like the first comic and it's the Red Ranger and uh, it just looks awesome. I'm excited. I actually I mean, just found this. I was scrolling through Facebook and I found this. Well, Boom said they were going to make 10 announcements before uh, San Diego Comic-Con and that must be one of them. And speaking yeah. of San Diego Comic-Con, we've got a bunch of news leading up to the week before San Diego Comic-Con. Marvel's got some stuff going on. DC shifting some Vertigo stuff to another studio. We'll talk about that on Nerd News next on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is Courtney Lynn, a.k.a. Harley Quinn from the Harley Quinn web series, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We go around the interwebs and see what's trending. So it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And our first big piece of news this week actually involves DC, sort of, kind of, maybe, yes. Uh, their Vertigo line is actually going to go from Warner Brothers to New Line. So according to Deadline, a lot of lines there. Uh, all future DC Vertigo adaptations, you know, movies will move to Warner Brothers, the sister studio, uh, New Line, which is you know the nineties New Line Entertainment, responsible for making Freddy and all those great, great horror um, movies back in the day. And Sandman's gonna go there now. They did report later in the day. That I believe the Hollywood Reporter reported it, that the Dark Universe is actually going to remain at Warner Brothers, and it looks like the project has lost, of course, Guillermo del Toro's director, which isn't a surprise. No. He's the kind of guy who will sign on to like a thousand different projects and then leave nine hundred and eighty-six of them. But uh, two questions I want to ask you, James: uh, One, what's your thought of the move to New Line? And B, does Warner Brothers still holding and keeping the Dark Universe there? Does that maybe mean Constantine could be saved, not maybe on television, but maybe some way, shape, or form? What it tells me, and I'll go with that one first, what it tells me is that the future plans, we all know how much this is really planned ahead. That tells me the future plans are going to meld the Dark Justice League, and we're talking about Constantine, Zatanna, Swamp Thing maybe to a certain degree. Eventually, those paths are going to cross with the main Warner Brothers Justice League line that we're seeing now. So that's what that tells me right off the bat, that eventually what they'd like to do is cross those two worlds in some way, shape, or form. So do you think that maybe that Warner Brothers in DC are looking at Justice League Dark as kind of their inhumans, pretty much? I think maybe to a certain respect. I think that they're leaving the door open for Trinity War at some point down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody remembers that arc from a couple years ago. It was pretty darn good. So they've they've got options there. And yet, maybe Matt Ryan is still in the mix because he did do such a great job. Of course, people thought the same thing about the guy that was Green Arrow in Smallville, and they were mad when he didn't get it, and then enter Stephen Amell, and that worked out pretty well. So I'm not saying that it has to be Matt Ryan. I'd like to see it be Matt Ryan. As far as them going to New Line, the Vertigo Line, brilliant move. And I'm not just saying that, because think about it. Look at all the movies that are coming out now. Right. Or, or that will be coming out in the future. You know, I mean, Flash, Justice League, Shazam's going to stay with New Line, so that's interesting. But look what would get lost in the shuffle if they put it all with one studio. Sandman would get lost in the shuffle. If they decide to go with a Preacher or Lucifer or something like that at some point down the line, that's going to get lost in the shuffle. So what this does is it gives you an entire studio where you can say, look, you take care of this. We'll take care of this. So you can actually give a good focus to these movies and make them what they should be instead of saying, oh, well, you know, we kind of have to do Sandman in between here. Yeah, and that's the thing is I like this move, and here's why. Again, as I referenced earlier in the 
part of the segment when I said, you know, look at what New Line's known for. They're known for the darker, horror, more scheduled type of movie. If you look at, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and all those other great classic movies that came out of New Line. I believe Scream came out of there as well. Uh, but the thing is, you look at all these these horror movies, why not put your darker properties yeah. with that company? You know, and it, that's the thing is, when I look at this, I want to be able to point you mentioned to the whole Matt Ryan thing. I think that it's tough to not put Matt Ryan in anything now for DC in terms of a movie because there's only been two iterations of Constantine on screen. You had the Keanu Reeves one, and then you have Matt Ryan, who, of course, Matt Ryan, as we both think and believe and know, was the better one of the two. No doubt. Where it's not like with Flash, because people say, well, why, about, why are you guys different on Flash? Because Flash is two different guys. You have Barry Allen, you have Wally West, you don't still know which way. Even Jay Garrick. Throw Jay Garrick in there, too. Garrick I mean. as well. And so, you know, you look at that and you just figure to yourself, like, you know, Constantine's one guy, so it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, Matt Ryan is, should be in there. Now, enough about Constantine, but again, I think this is a great, great movie, as you said. It's not going to get buried, it's going to, you know, keep two, you're keeping pretty much one slate, but on two different companies, so you're pretty much evening out the workload. I'm just saying, if you're not reading ver- anything Vertigo now, if you go to see Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach, now's the time to get in on these Vertigo titles because they're not only some of them not only coming to TV but I think that we have a feature film future for these properties as well not just the ones that were like Preacher and stuff like that not just those there's others there too that we're not mentioning Yeah, that are going to be part of this too and you might even be a little bit surprised at what we've got coming on down the line but what I'm really not surprised about at all Nick is the changes that are going on at Marvel again yeah so the reason why I bring it up is that a story broke earlier this week about Prince. There was this, this. If you go to your local comic book shop, for example, you go to Fantasy Escapes, they have Bob has what's called you know the preview book, which has all the previews right. for all the different uh, publishers, and everything else. Well, Marvel pretty much get sent out their own preview book for their new number ones. They're going to come up up in October, and. My God, I, I mean, we're not going to go off every single one on the list here, but... They're on our Facebook page. They're on our Facebook there. page, if you want to go there, facebook.com slash downnerdy. But, Invincible Iron Man number one, uh, okay, by Michael Bendis, we have like five different Avengers titles coming out. Yeah, which is nothing new again for Marvel. I mean, they've had quite a few Avengers titles before, and but... plus, you mentioned something like, didn't, what was it, A-Force? Or only on like issue five? Yeah, they're like barely five, I mean, they're not even five issues in, and here we go, starting back at number one again? How in the hell? Um, for me, of course, you got Doctor Strange number one, but again, that's not a surprise because of the movie. Uh, Here's one that jumped out at me. Yeah. Sam Wilson, yes. Captain America number one. Yes. You know why? Because... When you hear Captain America, no matter how much you try, you think Steve Rogers. So it's almost like they had to, you know, like that episode of Family Guy where you shove the kids' pictures yeah. in the guy's face kind of thing. Look at my kids. Look at my kids. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Sam Wilson's Captain America now. Sam Wilson's Captain America now. So they had to put that in the title so people would know what the hell it was. And my thing is this, too, is that I'm reading the brief synopsis that they give us, too. Uh, it says that, you know, the cover or the cover looks like it's, pretty much, it's very torn photo, Steve Rogers and... You know, Wilson kind of walk opposite directions in the background. So that's two things. Either it's a new era, again, for a second time in this many short months. Or B, they're going to go maybe with another Civil War-esque type of run with Wilson and Captain America. Which is funny, because Steve Rogers seems like a guy that you could easily get along with. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, yeah, again, they just rebooted the damn thing and they bring out number one again. Another one, the Mighty Thor. Really? Like, you just rebooted that again. And you're going to you know do another run, and it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be Jane Foster, I believe, is going to be Thor, because she is Thor in the all-new, all-different Avengers in the, the Zero Issue I read. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Scarlet Witch number one, and also you know Ver- uh, Vision number one. We're gonna get which we talked about earlier a couple weeks ago. We clamored for that, so I mean, I, I give them credit for that. But again, what are we getting ourselves into? Well, here's the thing. Question: You know your wife better than anybody, really. Do you think when she sees Scarlet Witch number one, she's going to have her own poll? She's a stickler for the movie costume. Okay. And I know that drives some people crazy, but she was drawn to that. And if that makes her more interested in the character, then I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So maybe this would be something. I haven't seen any cover art or anything, but if they're going with the new look, yeah. it's something she could very well be interested in. And then again, Hawkeye number one. Really? Like, you just put up, like, what was it, all new Hawkeye? Like, and there was like, nothing like, wrong with Hawkeye now. I mean, it wasn't it an Eisner Award like, winner? Something like that, but, like, issue one, I think, came out, like, a few weeks ago. Like, last month or something. Well, the other, I mean, the same beef would go with Miss Marvel, then. Yeah. I mean, because with the Kamala Khan run, everybody seems to love, now we're resetting now, that. Now, here's something, like, yeah, Carnage number one, and they had the, the last Carnage one during Original Sin I didn't like. I reviewed it months ago. Uh, sh- previous show. Uh, I want to talk about Spider Woman number one before we dive into Spider Man. I want to save him for last. No, I'm sure you do. Uh, Spider Woman number one on the cover. Jessica Drew is now pregnant. Really? Like we we like really? Like uh, yeah, and it's kind of like you're stealing. You're kind of stealing a mythos in a sense from uh, the whole Guardians of the Galaxy where we don't know who Star Lord's father is. So yeah. Now it's kind of who's you know Spider Baby's daddy. I don't give a shit. Does that mean that we're going to get a spinoff of Mori number one? Yeah. At some point, you know, you yeah. are the father. Yeah, right. I mean, I I don't know. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a pregnant superhero. So don't you don't no. even go there. It's just I'm tired of like. It's like okay, we get it. She's, you're forcing social issues into comics. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. You're, it's not organic. It's well, well social issues. Just there's certain things in life that they're forcing, and there's another way of doing it. It's like. I will say that my wife did more when she was pregnant than I thought was ever possible. Right. I mean, she was a warrior when she was pregnant. So pregnant women can do stuff, too. I get that. I'm not saying that they can't. I just think in terms of a comic book thing, there's there really could have been a better arc to maybe get new readers in there. I, again, I feel like they're pushing it. Yeah. And that's no pun intended when we're talking about a pregnant woman. I mean, I <laughs> seriously, that until you said uh, that. they're 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 just. It's like here we've got you know we've got uh, gay characters, we've got pregnant characters, yeah. we've got this, we've got but, that. But what's funny was I saw my saw the cover. A lot of people said like, "Well, she's pregnant, so isn't she gonna be endangering the baby when she's like fighting?" Yeah, I mean, how responsible is that? Yeah. I mean, is she gonna have super stomach? I don't know. <laughs> super stomach. Does she have iron ovaries? I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't get uh, it. Again, speaking of this, you know, Star Lord number one. Really, do we really need that? Spider Gwen just started. Yeah, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Here we go again, forcing change and not creating new characters. Uh, team consists of Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Drax, Venom, the Thing, and a woman in a Star Lord's costume, which probably is going to be Kitty Pryde because she was more of a big part in the Star Lord thing. And I understand. Listen. I understand that Kitty Pride might be might more possibly taken over Star Lord because in the Star Lord comic, which I'm currently reading, she goes out to space. Peter Quill pretty much uh, sacrifices himself, and later in the run, and I believe it was the Dark Mirror run, uh, but and then Kitty, so he's not really there anymore. He's there, but he's not Peter Quill, Star Lord. He's like a god now, pretty much. And so I understand you have this whole thing of what I've seen these new Marvel comics. Like Wolverine had these these characters pick up the mantle of like some of the they once. I mean, at least that one new. makes makes sense. It's X twenty three, so right. X twenty three makes sense um, in a way. I think they could have done it better. Uh, but with Star Lord, it's like 
why does she have to be in Peter Quill's thing? Why can't she just be Kitty Pride? Mm-hmm. You know, why does she have to have his thing? Yes, it's a remembrance. But why does she have? If it's her, why does she have to have his his costume? I, I totally, I totally get that. I mean, she could just have a, her own different costume, and she could still be in the Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. but you know, just have your own different costume. But I think that we need to talk about the eight-legged elephant in the room. Do we really have to? I think we do. Oh Jesus! Because because I know that you have some major issues with this. Well, first of all, you have two Spider-Man comics coming out. And I want to talk about first. I want to talk about. It's going to be called, I believe it's going to be called Spider-Man number one. Yeah, that's the Bendis. That's the uh, Bendis run. That's going to be with Miles Morales, now in the Marvel Universe. And I'm going to tell you about this, too. I think that by combining these universes and Secret Wars, Marvel has muddied the waters and they're not as being able to follow. Because it's kind of like, well, wait, who's in this one? And it's got to be a whole battle world thing. It's like, oh my god, it's so fucking confusing. Like, it was better when just you had two separate universes and they were both... More than one was more likely working better than the other. Of course, the Ultimate yeah. Universe nobody really paid attention to. But, you know, again, you're force-feeding this in, into a new regular universe, and I'm just like, I, I get confused by it. I'm just going to say this. For all you Miles Morales fans, and I'm not one, and, I, and it's because, and I've gone on record many times, I don't like the Ultimate Universe. None of it. Yeah. None of it. So it has nothing to do with Miles Morales. But all I'm saying is all the Miles Morales fans that were clamoring for him to be in the movies and that love him so much... It is put up or shut up time for you people, okay? And my thing with this too is so to cut you off. My thing is with this is that he's getting his own main. He's in the Marvel regular universe yeah. now, apparently, and th- we have technology now that we can look at ratings and how many things sold for each copy. So now, you know how many people are putting him under the microscope. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna put my Miles Morales under a microscope. See how much many of his comics that people sell, because if he doesn't sell enough, I can point and say, aha. After this, you put him in a regular universe, he's still not selling properly. And guess what? Or he's what? selling, but he's not as much as you he needs to be in order to be in the film. They tried to put Sam Wilson in the Captain America suit, and guess what? That book didn't sell. It didn't sell. And we know people other side of Bob and other people at comic shops and everything else, and they've said, I've listened to interviews, and they're like, it hasn't sold. And these are numbers, people. These aren't our opinions. These yeah. are actual numbers. I mean, I, we don't have the hard numbers right in front of us right this second, but it, just look it up yourselves on Diamond. They're not selling. And, again, for all you Miles Morales fans, and maybe he's got a cult following, I don't know, it's put up or shut up time. You really want yep. people to take notice of Miles Morales and, and make him a serious contender in any kind of universe? You're going to need to make sure this book sells, and I'm not sure it will. And here's another. Okay, so Miles Morales is done. Now let's go to people who are still Pierre Parker fans. Amazing Spider-Man number one. It's coming out. They just brought Peter Parker back. Like, they're just doing it again. Oh, this time he's got a new suit and a new logo. And it glows in the dark green. And it's like... Yeah, what is that And about? he's driving the Spider-Mobile. Really? Like, re- you've turned him into Batman. You've, that's what you've done with Spider-Man. Yeah, but the difference is that Batman needs a car. Yeah. Okay? And that's he, part of Spider-Man. He's going to get tired if he swings through the like city. I said, I'm not saying I'm going to take away... Yes, just because he has a Spider-Mobile doesn't mean he's going to be driving everywhere. However, the thing with Spider-Man is this. It's like, you just rebooted him. You did. And I'm sorry. I'm looking at all this other list, all these other comics. I'm, and we get Deadpool number one coming out in October. I'm at that point right now where Marvel has pretty much muddied the waters too much to where I don't even know anything really much about this new universe. And I've read some of Secret Wars. It was okay. But it's just, this is here, and this is there, and this is there. Different dimensions. They didn't do it in a way where convergence makes much more sense. With this Secret Wars new uh, era or world, whatever the 
fuck you want to call it. Uh, it just it's too confusing for you to follow. We've got fans wrote us and said yeah. the same thing. I mean, we're not the only ones that feel this way. As a matter of fact, first of all, I'm not sure what what the payoff is here for yeah. Secret Wars. Second of all, I and this is a legitimate question I'm going to ask. Okay. Legitimately, I, I want to hear from somebody that's stoked about this, that yeah. is so excited for what Marvel's doing and what they've got. I don't care if they work for Marvel. Yeah. Come at me, bro. I want to know why you're so excited about this because I don't get what's so exciting about rebooting your entire line every six months. And I want to talk about this, too. There's two things. I'm at the point right now where I will go and get rid of every Marvel... Co- After these current runs are over, like once September ends, I will go cancel my entire Marvel poll, instead, except for Deadpool, because Deadpool's the only character I can well, really I live mean, without. I, you know, I can't live without It's your Deadpool. favorite character. Yeah, uh, but that's the only thing. And I will cancel the rest of my Marvel run, because for two reasons. A, really I just invested this much amount of money into these stories that really got really, really good, and now they just... You're getting rid of them. B, I'm not going to sink more money into Marvel with my with my dollars to get five issues in and find out we're rebooting everything again. It'd be different if you knew going in, like you do with some of these other runs, that, okay, here this is a four-issue run. Yeah. Or this is a five-issue run or whatever. If you know going in it's a limited run, that's different. So I don't understand why Marvel's not just doing that. Yeah. Because they're hoping they'll catch lightning in a bottle with a few of these titles and they'll take off, so they'll just keep continuing the line. Whereas, and you and I talked about this off the air. Quite frankly, more than half these books won't survive a year, if six months. Right. So it's it's almost like you're afraid to get invested, just like on watching anything on Fox or now NBC, because apparently NBC cancels everything. It's hard to get too jazzed or too invested because. You're worried it's not going to be around, and you don't want to go, well, now now I'm never going to know what happens. Yeah, and my thing is, like, you know, certain series runs, like, X amount, like, five issues, and each book's four bucks an issue. I'm like, okay, so I spent, you know, 20 or so dollars without tax. And that's a good point, actually, because if you look at the number of two ninety nine books that Marvel has, yeah. very few, whereas DC actually has a lot of two ninety nine books. Yeah. So, in a way, you can kind of be like, well, if this doesn't work out... It was a two ninety nine book, and there's certain and yes, if DC was doing the same exact thing, I'd be just as upset as you are now. Right, but I, I feel like I can take more chances with this, and some of them I know going in that they might not survive. But with this, Marvel has brought has has put up this air of like, well, everything we do works, so we're just going to throw stuff on the wall. If you like it, you like it. If the, you don't, we'll just reboot the it. Final thing I want to bring before we go into our final story is. You look at these comics, and they're rebooting everything this quickly. Again, we talked about how, just now, you know, we don't want to get too invested with our money or anything else. Part of me thinks that they're rebooting everything now, especially when things only have, like, five issues in their runs or whatever. People nowadays have short attention spans. So if you're a comic book reader yeah. who doesn't have a short attention span or somebody who says, I would rather... Be like, you know, DC and the whole New 52, like Batman Eternal, stick with that for 52 issues instead of getting, like, 12 and then a whole reboot. Part of me thinks, A, I think they're actually insulting current comic book readers by saying, hey, you know, we're going to keep these as limited runs because you might not be able to follow all 52 whatever runs or issues we might have if we're going to extend the comic in a year-long run or whatever. And B, it's also with this whole, you got these new readers in, but they're going to get tired of it. And you're also, as you mentioned off the air last night, you brought up a great point of you're now making your fans 
force and want change over and over, and it's going to affect the comic book readers who want those long-standing runs. And guess what? It's going to affect your It's All Connected Marvel Cinematic Universe eventually, Mm -hmm. because your fans are going to be so used to change, they're going to be like, okay, uh, we're still, it's still the same kind of setup here. So and it's and it's following in line. I don't want it to follow in line. Now I need it to change. Exactly. And speaking of things that actually are changing, we're going to things that aren't changing. Well, as long as Robert Zemeckis is alive, uh, because pretty much he gave an interview to the Daily Telegraph, and they asked him, you know, about Back to the Future Four or possible Back to the Future remake, and he pretty much quote in three words, "Oh God, no!" And he pretty much said that it can't happen until both Bob Gale and I are dead. Uh, Gale, who, of course, was the writer, the co-writer on all three of the films. And then, uh, you know, Zemeckis went on to say, and when I'm, then when I'm dead, I'm sure they'll do it unless there's a way our states can stop it. And pretty much he said that in his contract with uh, Amblin Entertainment, which is Steven Spielberg's production company, uh, him, he and Gale, talking about Zemeckis, would have final say or as to what happens with that franchise until both of them are pretty much dead. So pretty much, we're not going to get back to the future until both are gone. And I just want to applaud Zemeckis because and he, he even said, uh, he had a great, great qu- uh, quote. And I'm going to quote in the story, but he said, I mean, to me, it's outrageous, especially since it's a good movie. It's like saying, let's remake Citizen Kane. Who are we going to get to play Kane? What folly? What insanity is that? Why would anyone do that? Again, who will play Marty McFly after Michael J. Fox? Who could play Doc Brown after Christopher Lloyd? Nobody! I'm sorry. Nobody. Even Biff. I mean, seriously. Who's going to play these characters? And first of all, I love the Back to the Future trilogy more than most people. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's got that special place in my life, you know? Oh, yeah. And bravo for Robert Zemeckis for doing this, because finally somebody's taking a stand in Hollywood, saying, we don't have to remake Every little thing. Yes! We don't have to make every franchise. Especially, my rule is this when it comes to films, is if it's a great movie, like a bona fide great movie, there's no goddamn reason to remake it. There isn't. Unless the plan from the beginning is to make a sequence of movies. For example, like Ghostbusters. I really wish they didn't touch make a new Ghostbusters franchise. No. I really wish that. Because now... Well, a lot of people well, wish no, they didn't make Ghostbusters too. No, because... <laughs> well, yeah. But for what I'm reading... And what I'm looking at, they're just going to redo Ghostbusters 1 and it's just going to switch the gender roles. And that's going to be exactly it. And Melissa McCarthy's going to fall down a lot. And yeah. that's just, I mean, I mean, maybe maybe it's going to be a good movie. I don't know. And I'm still going to go see it. I'm not stupid. And if they remade well, Back to the re- Future, I'd probably still go well, see it. Well, probably know? because you have to review it for the show. Well, then there's that. But, I mean, I'm glad. I'm just glad to see a, a director stand, put his foot down, say, you know what? This is a, a series, of, a trilogy of films that pretty much defined my career, a big part of my career. I'm not having anybody coming in and taking that away and ruining my name and what I built years ago. It'd be different if it was like an Indiana Jones situation where your last impression was, was Kingdom terrible. of the Crystal Skull, okay? Now they have to go back right. and fix that. You have to go back and do something. If Back to the Future 3 was awful, and it was not awful. I know it wasn't the best of the three, but it wasn't awful. Yeah. They don't need to go back and fix it. As a matter of fact, they kind of tied everything up into a neat little bow at the end. Yeah. So you don't need to go back. You don't need to right any wrongs here. It was a perfect trilogy. Leave it alone. It doesn't need to be redone. 
Do something else. Yeah. And that's what Robert Zemeckis is doing. He's doing other things. Exactly. Well, speaking of other things, this weekend's the 4th of July, so we're both doing different things. However, coming up, we are doing the same thing, which what we do is give you great, great interviews. So coming up is an outstanding interview with Chad Harden, DC comic artist. Stay tuned. We're down nerdy. Come up next. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Niciesa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we did say this 4th of July that we've got a very special edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast this week, and that's because we have the artist himself extraordinaire from the Harley Quinn series of DC Comics. It's Chad Harden. And Chad, how you doing this afternoon? Fantastic, guys. How you doing? Good. It's, uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind for you these past few months, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Always something exciting going on in the Harley scene. That's actually kind of leading into the first uh, question I wanted to talk about because I asked you on Twitter once a couple months ago. I said, "What was your favorite issue of Harley?" And you told me the next one because you never know what's going to happen. So, what's it like to work on a book where you kind of get to push the limits and really have fun with it? It's it's an absolute blast. Um, I, I honestly don't know where Jimmy and Amanda come up with some of the stuff that they come up with. Uh, and it's a genuine joy to be able to read the script. Uh, and it did turn around, and, you know, I'm, I'm literally, like, laughing when I'm drawing these things. <laughs> I can imagine. You know what I'm saying? It, it, you know, it's like a five-year-old kid with a bad magazine, you know, just having a good time with it. So, and, and, and I swear to you, like, every time I think, they pushed it too far. They they go. They just keep pushing. So it's a great month beyond. The fans love it, and I'm having the time of my life. So I mean, yeah. It's been, like I said earlier, it's been kind of a whirlwind for you, and it's just you know, it's it's really insane the amount of work you have to do all the commissions and everything else for. And so you mentioned you know when you just when you thought that they pushed it a little bit to the limit. What was that one piece you may have worked on? Uh, not a commission, but just like on a comic, where maybe you went a little bit too far, and somebody had to tell you to maybe hone it back a little bit. Oh, I I get more edits on this book than I I have more edits on one issue than almost my entire the rest of my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I mean, really. Uh, but you know, it's so funny, like, like. There was one issue. There was a joke in the one issue. You guys read the movie issue? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, okay. I can't believe that movie. I mean, I'm, I'm drawing it, and I'm like, and I'm drawing it, I'm like, there's no way this, there's no way this kid didn't drop it, you know? So I'm just like going all out on, on, on those pages, and it got through. There was, <laughs> I, and I was floored. I mean, it was one of those things I couldn't believe it until I had the book in my hands. And it got through it. And then uh, everybody picked up on it. Like, the only people that didn't pick up on it were, like, the, 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 uh, the people at GCU. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff, you know? <laughs> and, uh, anyway, oh, man. So, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, get, I get a lot of edits. And, and that, that's, you know, when we first started doing the book, nobody, except for maybe Harley fans, expected this book to do what it's Right. He certainly did not think that this book would do what, what it did. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I talked to Dan and Jeff, and, 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 uh, and they just say, they're like, we don't know 
we don't know why this book is called Blood and Silly, but it is. It's just one of those things where, you know, the parents have really uh, picked up on it. it, it it's filling really a void in a lot of DC books where it, it, the book knows it's a comic and it knows it's there to have fun. And everybody who's working on it is having fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And I, and I, think, oh, yeah. that, I think that's a big problem with a lot of comics today where... And, and, uh, and don't get me wrong, there are some great books out there. I'm a huge fan. I, I read a lot of books. Um, but I think a lot of comics just take themselves way too seriously. Like, they're trying to, they're trying to make high art. Um, and, I, you know, high art, there's nothing wrong with high art. That's not why I read comics. Right. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. But that answer that question, where, yeah, no, yeah, you, yeah, you, did, you did, definitely yeah, did. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, speaking of which, I was... Nah, hey, that's this show. So that, that fits right into what we do. Um, you had a blog post, I think it was yesterday, uh, on the 30th, yeah. where you were talking about what it was like to draw a character like Harley and the things that that leads to. So for the, anybody that didn't read us, tell us a little bit about it and the message that you were actually trying to send to young artists in that post. You know, uh, every, everybody is sort of under the impression... Like when, when when you go to a convention and you watch an artist draw something, when the artist is drawing that, that commission or, or doing what he's doing, he makes it look easy. Okay? And so people are under this false impression that drawing is easy, that it's not hard work, that artists are some, somehow these magical wizard people that just, you know, can create something without effort, because that's how it looks to people. And what they don't realize is that there's decades. I'm, guys, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've been drawing for 36 years. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's taken me 36 years to get noticed. Okay? I mean, that, and, and, and I've been drawing the whole time. I mean, all of my teachers, except for my art teacher, the only thing I ever remember about school was being told to, to stop doing something. Okay? I mean, it was one of those things where I was drawing since I was four, and I never stopped. I've been to, I've been to college. I have, I have a master's degree. Okay? I mean, I've been working on this my entire life. And so have all these other artists out there. But what happens is when you get on a book like Harley, and your artwork becomes in demand. There are predator-like business people who do want nothing but to take advantage of And they will be relentless in how much they want to take advantage of you. And the only person that can stop them is you. And 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 here's here's the thing. I, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely a, a nice person. I, I will bend over backwards for my fans, okay? You know, if, if I could, I would draw for free. I'd let all my fans have whatever drawing you want. Because I remember what it was like to be a fan and, and want something from guys like uh, Jim Lee, guys like Arthur Adams, Mark Silvestri. I, I would have killed for a piece of their artwork. So I, I know what it's like to want that, to want that drawing. 
bring the one that that one thing from that that artist all of them. But there's there's businessmen out there that are fully prepared to take advantage of that bet. And and what will happen is um, they will sort of monopolize your time. It's flooding. They will they'll flood you with commissions. They will uh, get a hold of your artwork, and they will basically Shanghai whatever you're doing, and they'll take all that money that you make selling your your artwork to, to your fans at prices that you wouldn't dream about charging, and and just taking that money and pocketing it uh, for themselves. And it, it's a huge it's a huge problem, and and it's a problem that not too many people are aware of. Okay. Well, they're aware but of it now. Right. Exactly, and they, and they need to be, because let me tell you guys, I, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for doing this for ten years, and it wasn't a problem until I started doing, you know, Dragon Age for uh, for uh, Dark Horse and BioWare, because Dragon Age is one of those things where Dragon Age is, as far as like fandom goes, it probably has a, a way bigger fan base than anything in the world. Oh, totally, definitely. yeah, yeah. I mean, I had I had um, guys in Russia like hack my email to like get a hold of uh, pages before they were released, and they would put them up on Russian public websites. That's and, crazy, Jesus. Yeah, and I mean that's you know so that's the level of fandom that, that uh, Dragon is. So I I started to become somewhat aware of it, but Dragon is but but Dragon is is gaming culture. And Charlie is pure comic culture. And there is a, a bunch of unscrupulous business people who have no problems whatsoever having you work for them all day long and taking 100% of your money and not giving you a single pet. And it happens way more than I think. Uh, and, and here's the, the, the thing about it. When it does happen to you, as an artist, you feel stupid. You, you feel like you've been conned. You feel like you should have known better. And, and so I don't think a lot of people talk about it because they're sort of ashamed to talk about it. Does that make sense? I mean, I mean oh, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. Perfect sense. And, and we appreciate your candor and actually bringing this to light. It's one of the reasons we wanted to ask you about it. Yeah. Well, and, and here's here's the thing. Um, if you let people, like, I'm very fortunate to work with DC Comics. I, I don't think people know this, but DC Comics treats their talent as best as they possibly can. They're not perfect. Okay. They're not perfect, but I would I would compare the people working at DC against anybody else out there, anybody. And I I know that they care about people they work with and trying and trying to be fair for people that work. This happens to guys who are just trying to start up. This happens to guys who work for uh, for big publishers, for small publishers. For trading card companies, um, you know some of the some of the prices. Uh, some of these people are paying artists. They're just not enough to live on. They're not enough to live on. Yeah. And uh, and so it it I think it is a bigger problem 
that needs to be addressed, that needs to be talked about. And I think it doesn't get talked about because people are ashamed. They don't they don't want to appear stupid. They don't want to appear like, you know what, I uh, now I should have known better, I should have been smarter. Exactly. I totally get it. Yeah. Totally get it. Now you're you're in your pieces. You're, you're credited as a penciler, artist, and colorist. So, which of those talents was really the first one you that came to you, or you honed in on, or did they all kind of come in at? You know, did you dabble in all three of those at the same time? I always wanted to do comics because I was always good at drawing with pencil, and it was just one of those things where it's like you didn't need to know how to paint, you didn't need to know how to. I was really stupid as a kid when it came to art. Like, I would look at guys like Norman Rockwell, mm-hmm. and I would look at what they're doing, and I would I would not try and, like, figure out how they tried to, how they did what those artists did. Like, guys like Weindecker, Rockwell, the golden age of illustration of artists. Wyeth, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole class of uh, illustrators out there that we're able to do stuff with illustration that nobody this day is even coming close to doing. And maybe True Strews would be, I, you know, like the last of the great, of the great illustrators, really. And uh, as a kid, I, I would look at what they were doing and I would say, I can't do that. But I would look at comics and I'd be like, I can't do that. And so, I mean, like, a huge influence on me, Weifeld, uh, all the image guys, really. And uh, I know this shocks a lot of people, but Weifeld was one of my favorites as a kid because I could look at what he was doing. And, I, you know, I look at, like, what Mark Spessor is doing, and I, I can't do that. Yeah, I yeah. At, like, what Weifeld was doing, I was like, I can do this, you know. Like, you know, if I could just, just be as good as Weifeld, you know. And, and, he, and he was a kid, too. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, like, but when I first met Bob Weifeld, he was probably only like five or six years old at the time. Wow. Uh, you, you know, I mean, he was a kid. I mean, there's a lot of people that did Bob Kraft. You know, when he was doing some of the stuff he was doing that made him famous, he was still a teenager. So I started out as a penciler, and I started out where, I mean, I, I wasn't looking at anything else outside of comics until I got to college. And I took a drawing class as an elective in college. I was going to college to be, uh, I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, uh, I, I took a drawing class as an elective, and my, my professor of my drawing class said, like, you're not going to be a lawyer. And so then I studied for four years a classical illustration. I studied guys like Rockwell, Mindbecker. I learned about things like reference. You know, like one of the things I don't think people realize about uh, about some of these great artists—they use absolutely every tool at their disposal to make what they made and to make it look fantastic. Rockwell used a ton of reference. He was almost a better—I'm not going to say a better photographer than a painter. He was equally skilled in gathering reference as he was. In at painting space. Right. And, and and so, you know, you basically learn a lot of the magician's tricks, okay? Uh, in, in, when you get an education, when you go to school and, and you, know, you get a classical education, uh, it, it's almost like going to, to the Emerald City and 
pulling back the, the curtain and seeing how the wizard operates. Okay? It's not magic. There's there's a there's a method. There's a technique. And so I uh, I went all the way with my. I have a terminal degree. So I, uh, I mean, basically, in what that means is I can't go any further as far as like my artistic education goes. I, I went all the way to learn as much as I could. But I still, I still had that childhood love for comics. So I know how to do the inking and the painting and, and all of that. As a matter of fact, and I know how to do all the digital stuff too. I was very fortunate to be a part of a program that was on the cutting edge of like digital painting and 3D modeling. I worked in video games for seven years before I had a touch Wow. And so I know a lot of these different techniques, but uh, it's still. I mean, the reason why I'm doing comics is just because of that childhood love never went away. Uh, that, that childhood love of, like, going into the 7-Eleven and buying, like, 10 books for $2. Okay. Those were the days, right? Those were the days of renown. <laughs> and, you know, and it, I would like to think that maybe one day someone's going to turn on their iPad, download 100 books for you know, 20 bucks, and be able to just read comics all day long. I, I, I hope and pray that there are kids out there doing it. And it, it's, it's not going to be sort of a lost generation thing. I, I doubt those names will ever, ever return. It just seems to me that kids are a little bit more distracted. There's other, there's other art that's more captivating. My son plays Halo way more than anything else. I'd like to he plays football for his high school. And Halo. <laughs> that's like all he wants. That's all he needs. Teenagers. You know I mean? <laughs> Teenagers <laughs> they don't want that 8-bit anymore. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, like, if I had Halo when I was his age, I might be the exact same one. Right. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. The technological advance is just amazing. Yeah. I, I make sure that he still reads all the classes. He's read, like, he probably has more Batman comics in his room than I have in my collection. There you go. So I'm, I'm trying, but but that you know what I'm talking about—that love, that absolute pure love. Oh yeah. Like your entire life, I I I think that we have a lot more casual readers today. My son's not even awesome. a year old yet, and I'm already trying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would love to see the fandom that I grew up with come back. And and you know what? To be fair, my daughter. My daughter is that way. I have a daughter who's she's like a chip off the old block, and you should see some of the stuff she's she's creating as far as art goes. She loves comics. She loves comics and manga and, um, and cartoons almost the same way I did. Excellent. So maybe uh maybe that's where it's gonna happen. It's gonna become more of a maybe the the lady's gonna take over me. And that I mean I'll fire <laughs> <laughs> the longer so, someone's reading books. You know? Yeah. There you go. So one thing I, I noticed is that you're a fan of the Foo Fighters, so I gotta ask you, if you could sing <laughs> one song at karaoke with Dave Grohl, what would it be? Does it have to be a Foo Fighters song? It could be any song. <laughs> I gotta tell you this experience. I gotta tell you this experience. This will answer your question. I, I actually, when I was working for in the we got to go to E3, and Sony was throwing a party. This was at the height of the PlayStation 2 yeah, you know, Sony's Golden Derby. And they basically hired the Foo Fighters to come and perform at this party, this private party at E3. And 
money than video games. <laughs> wow. hire the blue fighters for a private party the way you and I hire like a wedding singer to show up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's how much. Uh, yeah. But anyway, basically what happens is, uh, you know, Mike's on stage and they're like, hey, what do you guys want to hear? And this super drunk guy from some guy like that. I mean, but somehow he's able to get up on stage. And and he's like, you know, Mike asked this question, like, what song do you hear? And he's like, smells like teacher. And he starts wailing, smells like teacher. And I mean, everybody just erupted. And so, and, and, and that's not fair. I know that, uh, you know, I know the Blue Fighters are, they've definitely got the chops. They deserve uh, all the, the acclaim that they have, but there's a there's a huge part of me where they're they will always be sort of Nirvana. Does that, does that make you know? Oh no, it makes sense because well, because well, I remember Grohl was talking like in an interview once. He was saying you know to all the people who want to be musicians and get out there, you know, get some get some instruments and a, and a couple of guys get in the garage. You'll you'll suck and suck and suck for so many years. And then you just get good at it. And something will happen. You come along. You'll find something great. He's like, and that's how Nirvana was started. We were just three guys, few guys yeah. in the garage, and just you know, we were just playing, just thrashing, and we just sucked. And also something came along, and we became Nirvana. Yeah. Well, and, and, and see, once again, once again, you know, you're looking at artists who become completely obsessed with something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they just completely devote their life to it, and that's. That's how artists work. I mean, if if, if I wanted to be a rich guy, I should have finished my degree in law. Okay? You know know, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a a means to a means. It's a compulsion to create. There's something in you that has to get out, and you have to put it out there. Yeah. And um, and like I said, but it also makes you vulnerable to the business side of things. Because you, you don't want to focus on that. It takes your attention away from whatever you're creating creatively. And, and I, I think that Kurt Cobain is a great example of someone who just got tired of the, the BS and uh, wanted to open it. And I'm sure that the amounts of drugs that they Oh, yeah. But, uh, no doubt about it, yeah. yeah. I, it, it would be very interesting to have seen what people. I think we've all asked that question at some point. Yeah. But getting back to your love hey. of comics here for just a second, your love of the fandom you were talking about, so that that kind of makes me wonder, who's that one character that you've never gotten to work with yet you'd really like to draw a series for sometime in the future? I would love... I would, I, that was my book more than any book. That was... I was that age, or the age of those characters. I love, like, people ask me, like, what do you draw in your spare time? Chances are it's me. It's either Magic or Wolfsbane or Psylocke or, well, not Psylocke, I'm sorry, uh, Cypher, um, Daniel Moonstar, uh, Cannonball. I just, I love all those characters. Sunspot, I think, I think they're fantastic. I think they're really sort of underrated, too. It'll be very interesting. I'm very excited so I'm very interested to see if uh, 
how, how close they play to the books. I think the more successful comic book movies are the movies that stay close to the source material. Um, Iron Man's a great example of that. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you could have made a more perfect Iron Man than the Iron Man that we saw. And the mm-hmm. only changes they really made are changes that just made it relevant to what's going on today, like swapping the man on the world and just really subtle changes like that. So it'd be really interesting to see how they play out the, uh, the storyline. And, and you know what? I don't know about you guys, but I think I think the X Men where they're in the past are more effective than the X Men movies they uh, created that are modern day. It'd be really interesting to see what time period they choose. To make you know to put the name in the it'd be really interesting to see if they make like a eighties nostalgia film. You know what I mean? Oh, no, yeah, definitely. definitely. I, I agree. I've been well, wondering the same thing myself, actually. And you know what's funny is I think uh, I think Amy, my editor on Harlem when I first started her, I think she's at Marvel right now. I think she's on I think she's on X books, so but I'm not I'm not leaving Harley. <laughs> no, and, and we don't want and we don't want you to. So we're we're very excited that you're that you're still on Harley, even though we know it makes you super busy. And now you know you actually had to stop doing commissions at cons and stuff. So before we let you go, uh, tell your fans what's the status of your commissions right now. Okay, uh, now now when when I say a commission, I, I'm still drawing on the on the floor of, of the conventions. But what I'm doing is I'm doing quick sketching. The reason why I'm doing that. I'm trying to provide people as many fans as I possibly can with a piece of artwork that they, they can go on okay. um, So I, I, I've never stopped drawing pictures. Okay. When, when I say a commission, though, I mean, uh, I mean basically a finished piece of artwork that's either fully colored or I don't know if you've seen like how I work with the, the copets. You know, something where, you know, one piece of artwork takes me a couple of hours to do. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I'm basically drawing the line. Because okay. what, what happens is, you know, if I do that, then maybe I'm only doing like 10 commissions a show. Um, and usually I'm doing those at night in the hotel room, which means mm-hmm. I, I'm i always drawing on the book. Even when, I'm, even when I'm at a convention, like the second I leave the floor, I'm usually in the hotel room working on the book. I can imagine, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so what happens is you get to the conventions, you're on the floor all day doing quick sketching. You go to your hotel room, you finish your page, and then instead of going to sleep, you're up all night doing commissions. And it's just too much. Oh, yeah. And so I, I basically just said no more, no more commissions. You can have the quick sketches. Um, I'm doing a lottery now where I'm doing like one finished piece. Because when you tell people no and it's an absolute, some people lose their minds. I mean, I, I had we've seen of, it, yeah, yeah, and you're like, oh, you know, and and, and so, it, and it's really weird. I mean, uh, just just the hope that someone can get that has sort of calmed or calmed people down where they're not like frantic anymore. Yeah, uh, but but uh, I mean, like I said, if I had the time, if I had the time to make good one happen. I would do one for everybody, but this partly so huge and so many people want a piece of that artwork that, uh, you know, I just have to scale it back 
Exactly. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing the quick sketches. I'm trying to get as many quick sketches I can get done at these shows and get as, get a drawing in, it in as many people's hands as I can and still go to bed at night. That's the goal. Hey, hey you got to sleep, man. Right. You know? Yeah. Four or five hours of sleep. So... so so, Chad, uh, one more thing before I let you go. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, where can they find your art if they want to purchase it? There's Scott Kress, who's my agent, and uh, uh, he's as honest as the day is long. I'm very fortunate to have him uh, repping me. Uh, you can always go to Catskill Comics to buy original pages of my artwork. Um, normally, I will have prints at, at conventions, up to quick sketches at conventions. You can always reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, uh, Patreon, uh, Instagram. I'm always just Chad Hart. I don't have any clever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets confusing you know. when you do that, you know? Right. It's just, you know, so you get on there, you look for Chad Hart, look for the guy that look. I get. I guess I look like the wrestler Big Show. I'm not into You do! Show. You totally you do! do. Yeah. I wasn't so, going to bring it up, but you definitely do, yeah. <laughs> look, look for Chad Hart. Well, the big show is definitely a Harley Quinn from DC Comics. We were just so happy to have the artist extraordinaire from that book, Chad Harden. Thank you so much for joining us, and happy 4th of July. Hey, happy 4th to you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. What a great interview with Harley Quinn artist Chad Harden, and he was brutally honest about a lot of stuff, which I love. And like I said... I, we were talking off mic about how he is, for an artist, the Fabian Nicieso when it comes to just interviews, when it comes to just that bluntness and that, you know, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to let it go. It might not be pretty, but it's informational. It was. You know, we learned a lot about why he doesn't do the commissions. You know, we learned about the business side of comics. And also we learned that Sony has enough money to get the Foo Fighters to play at a, in an E3 party. That's good to know. So if we ever go to E3, you know, we'll, we'll pick a band and we'll make sure that uh, Sony hires them for their after party. That's, exactly. That's going to be a lot of fun. But, man, we've got a jam-packed July schedule for you. We know the San Diego Comic-Con is coming up next week. First couple days, of course, Thursday and Friday. We usually have our shows come out on Friday and then Saturday and Sunday. We'll have it all covered for you this month. We've got so many great guests lined up for you this month. I wish that we could tell yeah. people, everybody, but kind of sworn to secrecy. and that's, Kind of sworn to secrecy, yeah. Well, let me put it this way. When you get guests like this, they kind of make you not say anything until... Yeah, until it gets closer to actually the interview time. And, you know, next, the last thing we want to do is kind of like at a con, pretty much. You can't say yeah. who you got. Because if you do, you lose that retainer on the person. You know, right. it's like if we say who we got coming up this week... Odds are they might say, you know what, we're a little bit busy this month. Yeah, make sure you go to Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach and get those Harley Quinn comics, though, because they, they are amazing. I've, I've been on them since day one. I have the zero issue, and I love it. Of course, you can always find us com. That's our brand-new website. Hopefully, you've already bookmarked it. You've been there. That means, don't worry, we're still on social media, yep. facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757. I'm also on Twitter at Merkle1Arm. James is on Twitter at James Ace Witham. You can still email us if you want to, downandnerdypodcast 
at gmail.com. But there's a nice little contact us thing right there on the website, making it really easy for you to send in your fan questions. Cosplay Tuesday submissions and stuff like that you can do there as well. Cosplay Tuesday submissions, of course, the next submission we have will be Saturday for Show Your Shirt Saturday. Also, don't forget, Sunday is our Spotlight Sunday. So if you are a comic book artist or just an artist in general, you want some, you know, some exposure, feel free to, if you want to, so we'll put it on our main page, so it'll be through us. Uh, feel free to message us your artwork, and we'll put it up there. Or if you just want to you know, post it to our page, and we'll just share it, that's another thing we'll do for you. Give, you know, it's all about giving artists exposure, whether they're small-time, big-time, whatever. We don't, you know, we don't discriminate against art types here. This is This is our way, and, and Chad touched on this, about how people take advantage of people yeah. uh, a lot of times in business. This is our way of saying, hey... There's a lot of great art out there. Yep. And what we want to do is we're not getting anything out of this. No. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to point out to people all the great art that's out there because there's a lot of great artists. And we want you to know about these people, even people that aren't drawing books right now. Exactly. And also, as Jay's mentioned, downerypodcast.com. You get to learn some more about it. if you're new to the show you know, or even if you're you know, someone who's been with us since the first episode, which... Congratulations, you've powered through it. Yeah, but, uh, powered through that first episode. Thanks but, uh, for that. Yeah, but anyways, uh, we actually talked about kind of maybe doing a riff track so that we got to see how that might go. But uh, the thing is, is when it comes to downrightpodcast.com, if you, somebody, you know, want to support James and I, you know, we're not getting paid for the podcast, but if you want to help support us in some way, you can visit our Amazon store. And again, it's 100% free, you know, safe through Amazon. Uh, some things you could probably get some free shipping through as well. I know, like, Arkham Knight, if you ordered it last week, you got free shipping with that through Amazon. Yep. And there's tons of digital content on there as yep. well through Amazon Instant Shirts. and stuff like that. Matter of fact, if you're not on Amazon Instant, you can sign up for it for free on our site. Free 30-day trial. And, you know, cancel any time kind of thing. Yep. So, I mean, I love it. I watch Orphan, Orphan Black on there all the time now. How is it, by the way? I love it. You love it. Oh, I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about it on the show. I'm not there yet. Right. But I can't wait to talk about it on the show because I love it. But as always, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Down the Podcast. Again, we want to thank you, the listeners, for listening every week. We want to thank Bob, Fanscape, Comics and Cards for, you know, being our sponsor since the beginning and, and sticking with us and just, you know, again, if you live in the Virginia Beach area, go check out Bob, all the great stuff he has, all the great comics. If there's a comic that you think that, you know what, not a lot of places might have, just go to Bob, say, hey, there's this comic I'm interested in. It's from this publisher. Here's the title. And he will order it for you. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it for you. So, again, and also want to thank, of course, Chad Hart for coming on and giving us the time and just giving us a great uh, inside look at just the cons in general, how they kind of work out as far as from an artist standpoint, and just DC Comics, how great they are. And, you know, again, just coming on and, again, go visit all the links he's told you about, find him on social media, get his information so that we get some of his great pieces of art. But as always, I'm going to close this every week the way I do, nerds. Pray safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics. <laughs>